Come on in. Come on in. I've got to find my notes as well. There is a little um, handout on the back there somewhere. There were some articles that were not supposed to be back there, so if you grab one of those, you might give it back or something like that, but that's okay. Um, there's a brief little outline that might help you. It's okay. It's okay. Just, just think again next time. Think again. So on that note, we are coming to the end of this section of Equipping Hour, and so Pastor Mike went through um, the person and work of Christ, and we were looking at Think again, inspecting introspection, and we spent eight weeks talking about that. This is kind of the, the last one. This is going to be kind of a summary and prospect. Where do we go from here? And so just to let you know, all, all of those are recorded online, okay? So you can find those if you want to go back, if there's something that uh, piques your interest. Um, if you missed one of Mike's or Foo's or something like that, those are all online too. Um, so please feel free to go back and, and listen to those um, there's sometime last year the, the pastors asked me to talk about, hey, we should do something about like introspection, you know, people who like look inward and all this stuff. And they were like, you should do it. I was like, okay. Uh, I don't know what to do. I haven't really read any, any books on that or really studied that, but I knew a couple of places um, that might be, might be helpful. And so I wasn't sure where to go and how this class would work. But I think in retrospect, um, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, for me, it's been helpful. I don't know about you guys um, who've been in there. It's been real helpful to look at this. Whether you define yourself as an introspective person or not, um, I think it's been helpful, at least in terms of helping others, okay? And so that's really what we want to talk about this morning is, yes, do a recap. I want to move through that as quick as I can. And also just get to some of these closing points. So what? How do we help each other, okay? How does the church become a culture of care um, for people who might be spiritually depressed or introspective? Um, and so that's where we're going to go. It's been funny. I've been reading um, the biography of J. Robert Oppenheimer. He's the guy who invented the atomic bomb. And uh, it was just this, it's amazing. Anytime I'm reading something for fun, it always like ties into what I'm teaching. I had never read in any book, I don't think, I'd ever seen the word introspection or like this person was introspective, okay? In this book, him, Oppenheimer, and his uh, fiance, Tatlock, are both described as introspective people. And I was like, providence, like, this is amazing. Like, I've never read this word anywhere, and it showed up like five times in this book. And so, it just goes to show you, um, these people are out there, okay? Um, that's kind of a tongue-in-cheek introduction to it, but whether it describes you or not, I'm not willing to doubt. I mean, you're going to run into someone who has this problem, okay, at some point in your life, okay? And we'll get into some of those more reasons why that's going to be the case. And so, how do we help others? I mean, if you remember a couple weeks ago, Mark mentioned in his sermon what? Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice, okay? So how do you come alongside and mourn maybe with this person who's mourning and to get them out of that and take their eyes off themselves, look to Christ? And so we're going to do that recap, summary. Where do we go from here? Before we do that, let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this weather, this wonderful weather we've had um, in Bakersfield that is, has been so rare. Um, Lord, thank you for your grace, your mercy. Lord, I just pray as we move through this material this morning, that it would um, be ultimately to your glory, that we would um, learn and glean from these principles, um, that they would be biblical, um, that we would 
um, learn how to not only counsel ourselves with Scripture, but how to help others. Lord, you've designed your people to do the work of ministry together, um, that we build one another up. Lord, so I pray that as we think through this issue of spiritual depression and being introspective, that we would um, not only think what can we get out of it, but how can we turn and help others. I ask you to bless this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to hit some of these main points. We started out really week one, even defining our terms. Okay, What are we even talking about? Okay, Someone says they are introspective. What is introspection? Should we even do that? The Oxford Dictionary defined introspection as, quote, the examination or observation of one's own mental and emotional processes, okay? So there's a, you know, standard secular definition, the examination or observation of one's own mental and emotional processes. So what's going on on the inside? Something along those lines. And here, as always, defining our terms is essential, okay? Oxford might be, be helpful, but I think we need to define our terms according to Scripture, okay? And so we went through some of these verses here that make it very clear. Hopefully these pop up. Yep. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. let a person examine himself. Sometimes translated as, you know, test himself, something like that. Examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Galatians 6, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one test his own work. So we don't want to deceive ourselves. Clearly, I just think, I mean, there's so many other passages we could look at. There is um, a healthy and biblical self-examination that the Bible prescribes, okay? There is something that we should do when it comes to examining ourselves. And I think you'll notice in these verses, contrary to how, you know, the Oxford Dictionary defines it, they, you know, are going to mental and emotional processes. The Bible's far more concerned with examining practically what you're doing, right? Like, look at what you're doing. Examine yourself. See if the manner of your life matches up with Scripture, okay? So, yes, maybe we should think about our thinking, but more importantly, think about your doing, right? What are you practically doing in your life? Does your life match your doctrine? So, there is a healthy inward look according to to Scripture. Mellinger writes in his book, by the way, you have these on the back, um, some of the helpful resources. I'm not going to be able to talk about all of them. Um, I will mention some of them. Um, but Jared Mellinger, he's written a really good book on this um, called Think Again. Um, and he writes in his book, introspection is the act of looking inward. When we introspect, we are observing ourselves and reflecting on our thoughts, emotions, actions, and identity. Now, I like and dislike his definition. Um, I like it because I think it's simple, but I would just say, let's leave behind language of introspection and just use biblical language like self-examination, okay? Examine yourself, test yourselves, okay? So we went through this in class. I would tend to say, let's not even use that because we don't know what people mean by being introspective, especially if they're not defining their terms. Let's just use biblical language, self-examination. That's what we should be doing. Um, so I'd say that. I'd also say... If you caught it there at the end, the very last word he uses is identity, okay? Ooh, identity. If you guys were in our class, remember week one, we spent a lot of time talking about this. This is vitally important. Um, there's an article, and this is what I didn't want to pass out, but it's okay. I can print out more. Um, there's an article by Caleb Morell 
great first name. Um, he, he talks about, he goes through history and all these things and just dispels the myth of identity in general and talks about how it's such a dang, dangerous term, okay? And so the title of his article is Stop Finding Your Identity in Christ. And so I have some of the article somewhere. If you want that, I'd highly recommend you read that. You can also just look it up online, right? It's on the back there, Stop Finding Your Identity in Christ. It's on like American Reformer or something like that. Excellent article. I could not recommend that more. Um, really, really good. Really strong. I'd also add, for you extra credit people, okay? Um, this is an amazing uh, lecture, sermon, Lerman type thing uh, that Grant Horner, one of my top two favorite professors at Masters did last year, um, talking about identity, okay? He is a literature nut, okay? Greco-Roman, you know, Reformation, everything, okay? He is just, he knows it, literature, secular, um, you know, Christian, it's excellent, okay? He spends, it's like 50 minutes, he's really funny too, so it's, it's easy to listen, it's not like a dry, boring lecture, he's super funny. There's some inside jokes if you went to Masters that I find hilarious that you guys won't get, but that's okay. Um, it's really, really helpful. I don't know how else to say that. Incredibly helpful. He goes through, I mean, pretty much back to, you know, the ancient, you know, Greco-Roman mythology. He just says identity is made up, okay? It is not real. It's, it's a buzzword that we created um, really in the 20th century, and it's caused a lot of damage, okay? And so I would highly, highly recommend that. They both say we need to get back to biblical language like union with Christ. I mean, it's, it's funny. We almost don't even know what to say. You know, it's like, oh yeah, my, my identity is in Christ. Like, that's just built into what we say. And so him and Morel really deal with the dangers of that. And so why, why do I say all this? You're like, okay, we're talking about identity. How does that relate to introspection? I mention it because I believe um, we have these issues of introspection People who are, you know, looking inward, they never stop looking at themselves, and they're dissecting their own thoughts and emotions and all this stuff, because we've been taught to place a premium on our feelings. We've been culturally just taught the most important thing is what I say about myself. That is the most important thing about me, is what I say, okay? Internally determined reality. Notice I put that in quotes, because their reality probably does not correspond to true truth, as Francis Schaeffer would say, right? What actually corresponds to reality, okay? So I'd say get rid of identity language and let's get back to the biblical doctrine of union with Christ, externally conferred status. This is true, your position in Christ as a Christian. What's most important is what another, namely God, says about you. That's what's most important, okay? Not what you think or what you're feeling. What is actually true? What does God say about you. That is what is most important. And I spend time on this, and I send you these resources, um, you know, like the Grant Horner Lecture and these articles, because I would say this, culturally in our, in, in our country, our context, this is not going to get better, it's going to get worse, okay? Uh, the LGBTQ agenda, all of that is going to make identity even more and more of a problem, okay? More and more, it's going to be, I mean, what did, what did Oprah say, like, on that thing, you know, believe what's your truth, I mean, that's just nonsense. That's just garbage, right? Like, what's true? Like, what corresponds to reality? Um, but where we're at, it's just subjectivism. And so I think that's one of the key problems is we've been taught to place such a premium 
on our feelings. And so again, if you're a high school teacher, if you're, well, whatever teacher you are, if you're engaged in that sphere, this is going to get worse and worse. And so these are some resources that, that might help you. Um, Carl Truman's book, Strange New World, would also be good. Carl Truman is a brilliant, um, um, you know, reformed, awesome evangelical scholar. He's done a ton of work in this field. Um, he has a real big book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, um, which is, I think, around like four or 500 pages. It's a little thick, but it's real good. He has a shorter one, Strange New World. I'd highly recommend that. If you want more on this, if you want to be better equipped, Strange New World by Carl Truman. And so contrary to identity, what's most important is union with Christ. We have died with him. We have been buried with him. We've been raised to walk in newness of life in Christ. He's our justification. He's our sanctification. In him, we're going to be glorified. It all goes back to who we are in Christ, right? That is what we need to stress. And so I mentioned this, again, not only to help yourself, whether you think this is a problem you have, but also helping others, okay? Go back to this foundation, right? It, maybe they have a faulty foundation where, again, if they've been in the public school system, more than likely they do. I mean, I had, I, I didn't really think about this until I read that article by Morell, and I was like, man, like, I have a lot of just built-in junk because of just identity and just so much subjectivism. Like, it's not true. I need to get back to what the Bible says. And so think through this not only for yourself, but helping others. Don't place such a premium on your subjective feelings. So we went from there. We moved to fighting the fight of faith. And there's a picture from Pilgrim's Progress, Christian fighting Apollyon. It's an amazing scene. And, and really what I want to go through here, based on that, uh, moving to union with Christ and how that relates to introspection, is that ordinary Christianity is a conflict, okay? This is basic boots on the ground, ordinary Christianity. You're not weird or out there if you struggle with these things. If you have some type of spiritual conflict, that's not odd. That's normal. That's what goes on in the Christian life. We need to keep fighting. Biblically speaking, our position is we're in Christ. We've been justified, okay? We are being sanctified. We will be glorified. But oftentimes, in our day-to-day -day life, the progress in our position it doesn't seem that way sometimes, right? It doesn't seem or feel like we are a new creation, okay? 2 Corinthians 5.17 is very clear. If anyone's in Christ, he is presently now a new creation. I don't feel like a new creation all the time. I don't know about you guys. It doesn't seem like we've been adopted. Oftentimes, it doesn't appear that I've been set free from sin. So we need to be reminded that we are works in progress. God is presently sanctifying us, right? So, you know, a verse like Philippians 2, 12 through 13, work out your own salvation, for God is at work in you, okay? So, you work because God is working, both to will and to work. So, he's even generating the desires to work and fight the good fight of the faith. But I just wanted to, to point out a couple of passages. I mean, just, just picture, draw a picture of what Paul's trying to draw here, okay? Note this language. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I mean, this is like siege warfare, right? This is knights and castles and catapults and, right? This is intense language that Paul is using. So I'll just say this. Maybe you're a Meek and mild, just sweet saint, 
you need to get your war face on. All of us, we are all called to this spiritual warfare, okay? I mean, that's what's going on. That's why Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6, right? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Notice in there, at the beginning of verse 11 and 13, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God twice. Okay, so I mean, Paul is at least in one sense saying that you and I do not come into the day armed for spiritual conflict, right? You got to take it up. It's not just a passive, we are protected. That's true, God is keeping us. Praise God, that's true. But there's also a part we have to play, right? We need to put on the whole armor of God because we wage against the world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? Yes, it's true, the devil um, might find chinks in our armor, but I don't know about you guys, generally speaking for me, it's my own sinful flesh that finds chinks in the armor, (laughs) okay? And the pressures from the world. And so we need to take up the full armor of God. And a large part of this class, I'll just say it now, honestly, if it sounded like I was saying the same thing over and over, we just need to get back to preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. I mean, that's so much of what we have to do is remind ourselves of who we are, without Christ, who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, right? The basis of our justification is not our righteousness because we have none. It's the righteousness of Christ. So you keep going back to that with yourself and with another person who might be struggling with this. So you keep passages like Ephesians 2. Keep that in your, you know, keep a bookmark there. You don't know where to go? Hey, that's where I need to go, okay? Passages like that, and we have some more. So take up the armor of God. There's a great illustration. I put that up. Let me see if I can go back. This picture from Pilgrim's Progress. Christian, he's on his journey to the celestial city. I'll give you spoiler alerts if you haven't finished the book, like my wife. Um, But it ends good. It's a happy ending, okay? But along this journey, he runs into Apollyon, which is another name for Satan um, in the book of Revelation. And he attacks him, and there's this conflict. um, And there you see him, right, with with the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I want to skip ahead to... um, what Apollyon says here. Yeah. Apollyon accused. You almost fainted. This is before the battle, actually. You almost fainted when you first set out, when you almost choked in the swamp of despond. You also attempted to get rid of your burden in the wrong way instead of patiently waiting for the prince to take it off. You sinfully slept and lost your scroll. You were almost persuaded to go back at the side of the lions. And when you talk of your journey and of what you have heard and seen, you inwardly desire your own glory in all you do and say. And so he's lobbying. Here's the devil lobbying all these accusations against the Christian. You're bad. You've done all this sin. You've done all these terrible things. Now notice how Christian responds to his accusations. All this is true, and much more that you have failed to mention, Christian agreed. But the prince whom I now serve, that's Christ, the prince whom I now serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. Besides, these infirmities possessed me while I was in your country, for there I allowed them to come in. But I have groaned under them, have been sorry for them, and have obtained pardon from my prince. That's how you take the bite out of the devil's attacks, those fiery darts. So you say, yeah, that's true. I am sinful. Not only did I sin before I came to Christ, I sinned after I came to Christ, and I'm still going to sin. But God is merciful and gracious and ready to forgive. The prince whom I now serve 
is merciful and ready to forgive. I, I think that's a great reminder, right? So maybe this is exactly, you're sitting down, maybe you have this problem or someone else does. You just read this to them. That's biblical. John Bunyan is exactly correct when he does that. And so you say, Satan, I'm worse than even you say sometimes. So you fight the good fight. You fight the good fight. You start with, we spent a week going through the Psalms. Um, I didn't write these down. Um, Psalm 42 is a great place to start. Psalm 42. You, you've, you've got a problem with this person, or they have a problem. Not you have a problem with the person. They have a problem, and the Lord's brought you providentially into their life. Where do you go? Just go to Psalm 42. Start there. Psalm 42. You don't know the exact turmoil going on with this guy, but Psalm 42, verse 5, he says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So you have the experience of the Psalter here, and he's saying there's something wrong. I don't know what's going on. He even says that. Why are you cast down? Why are you in this spiritually depressed condition? He talks to himself rather than listens to himself. And he tells himself what he needs to do, hope in God. Lloyd-Jones in his book on um, spiritual depression starts here with Psalm 42. And he says this very briefly at this point. The first thing we have to learn is what the psalmist learned. We must learn to take ourselves in hand. I say that we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Super helpful principle, okay? So when you're sitting there, you're down in the depths, you're just overwrought with all these things, chances are you're probably just listening to yourself, and what you need to do is open the pages of Scripture and preach to yourself. You need to open to a place like Psalm 42, or you need to open to Psalm 121. I lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, okay? And you just start there, okay? If, again, providentially, God brings someone into your life, you don't know where else to turn. It's a great, just open the Bible, it sounds so simple, but that's really what you need to do. I mean, Mark, when he talks about, you know, his discipleship class, I'm pretty sure that's going to be a big part of it, right? You sit down and open the Bible with the other person, and you read the Bible, and then what do you do? You pray about it. That's what you do. You don't move on past that, okay? You open the Bible, and you talk to yourself. You preach to yourself the Word of God. So Psalm 42 is a great place to go. I already mentioned Psalm 121. Psalm 130 if it's, uh, you know, a sin-related issue, Psalm 130 is amazing. Uh, it's a gospel summary in a psalm. Those would be three that I would highly, highly recommend. So another main point, kind of transitioning a little bit, um, I, I think one of the number one, probably the number one reason why Christians in particular introspect, why they are inward-looking and they get to this uh, place of spiritual depression, the number one reason is usually sin. I know that's real profound, okay? That's usually it. Some sin that happened before they came to Christ or some sin after, okay? I'm down because I can't stop thinking about what I've done, okay? That's common. That happens in this spiritually depressed state. And that's why, again, you go back to, hey, we're in the fight of faith. Chances are we didn't have our armor up. You're going to get wounded. That's normal. In fact, if you've never had any conflict, that's probably not a good sign. Right? If you are walking this Christian life and you are, as the hymn says, happy all the day, that might not be good. <laughs> uh, chances are there's cause for concern. Lloyd-Jones makes this point. The fact that you are unhappy or troubled is no indication that you're not a Christian. Indeed, I would go further. 
and say that if you have never had any trouble in your Christian life, I should very much doubt whether you are a Christian at all. Okay? This is normal that we would have conflict, that we would struggle. And so typically with this introspection, spiritual depression, why is someone in this state? I think it goes back to a failure to work out and preach yourself simply the doctrine of salvation. You got to go back to salvation, first principles. Lloyd-Jones says this again here. Let me put this plainly and bluntly in order that I may emphasize it, even at the risk of being misunderstood. There's a sense in which the one thing that these people, people who are stuck, who are introspecting, who are examining their own soul over and over and over and cutting it open and dissecting it and just, what is going on within me? And I'm just, oh, I'm overwhelmed by all this. There's a sense in which the one thing that these people who are in this condition must not do is pray to be delivered from it. You must stop praying at times because your prayer may just be reminding you of the problem and keeping your mind fixed upon it. You need to stop thinking about it. So you must stop praying and think, work out your doctrine. Work out the doctrine of salvation. And so you go to maybe a passage like Colossians 2, 13 to 14, and you, talking to the church, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Do you believe that? That's what you got to do. Do I believe that God has forgiven me all my trespasses by canceling the record of debt? That debt has been canceled. It's been set aside. It's been nailed to the cross. Or maybe it's Philippians 3.13. Mark preached on this a few weeks ago. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, you know, this pressing on to know Christ. I mean, if anyone knew Christ, It'd probably be Paul, like, right? Like he saw him like on the Damascus Road, but he says he's pressing on to know Christ. What does he say? One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Right? You guys can remember who Paul was and what he did. He persecuted the church. He murdered believers. He forgets what lies behind and he strains forward to what lies ahead. Sometimes you and I need to tell each other that we need to forget what is behind. But Jones again, to be miserable in the present because of some failure in the past is a sheer waste of time and energy. You got to move on. You can sit down and be miserable, and you can go round and round in circles of regret for the rest of your life, but it will make no difference to what you have done. What's done is done. And that is profound wisdom right there. What's done is done. But it's true. You have to move on. You need to, with Paul, forget what lies behind and press on to know Christ. And so we deal with sin. Vital to this whole conversation, we spent, I think, two weeks uh, in 2 Corinthians 7, a real helpful passage dealing with godly grief versus worldly grief. And I'll just read this quickly. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but grieved, uh, but, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so there's two types of grief. There's a godly grief that produces repentance, leading to salvation, without regret. That's great. That's what you want. That's grief according to God. That's the kind of grief God wants you to have when you sin. God does not want you to sin, but if you sin, he wants you to be grieved in a godly way, right? You want that rather than worldly grief, which produces death. And I could be, again, like I said, we spent a lot of time on this. This is kind of a summary slide. Um, after walking through this passage, I would say godly grief 
is this self-examination, right? Going back to those verses we looked at, asking questions, okay? Why am I in this state? Why did I do X, Y, or Z? What's going on here? What do I need to believe to turn from that? What do I need to counsel myself with, okay? And that produces a repentance without regret, a repentance that I'm longing to be free from that sin. I'm, I'm moving on. I'm pressing forward, okay? On the contrary, there's worldly grief, which I would say is this kind of introspection and condemning statements. I thought this was a helpful distinction here. I think godly grief asks questions. Worldly grief says you're pathetic. Worldly grief makes condemning statements like you are worthless. I can't believe you're struggling with this. No one else is having this problem. Well, if you're doing that, you're leaving yourself no room for hope at all. I mean, you're just going to go down and down and down and down, okay? So don't do that. That produces death, a worldly grief that never moves past the self and how it has offended, you know, my, you know, the vision of my ideal self or something like that, my identity, you could say. Godly grief is always seeing our sin in relationship to God, right, and how it affects him. And then really, um, last, uh, two weeks ago, we, this is kind of big principle where we were going from introspection to Christ inspection, getting our eyes off of ourselves to Christ. Another picture from um, Pilgrim's Progress, Christian before the cross. I love this picture. Um, it's as he looks at the cross that his burden falls off, okay? And I would argue that what goes on here is not simply just a one-time thing, that we actually will probably accumulate burdens throughout our life, and we continually need to go to the cross, right? It's not just a one-time thing. I actually don't think Bunyan is depicting salvation here. The Christian is saved when he goes through the wicket gate, not when he sees the cross. This is dealing with assurance, okay? And he loses his burden. So typically when you sin, that upsets your assurance as it rightly should, okay? So you keep going back to the cross over and over throughout your life. We continually look to the cross. We're not going to win the battle for introspection if we keep going back to, stop. I, I need to stop thinking about myself. Stop thinking about yourself. I need to stop thinking about myself. What are you going to do? You're going to think about yourself. Don't do that, okay? You need to fill your mind with someone else. You need to think about Christ. I, I use the illustration that John Piper used in one of his books. Um, you guys who are in class remember this, of like an empty glass science beaker, okay, and it's full of air. It makes the point, what's the easiest way to get the air out of it, Right? You, you know, hook up all these hoses and suck it out and all this stuff. He's like, no, the easiest way to get the air out of it is actually just fill it with something else. Fill it with water, okay, something like that. And it's the same thing in the Christian life. Rather than trying to think, how do I not do this, you should be thinking, how do I do something else? And you realize that'll actually help quite a bit. Lloyd-Jones says here, there's only one way to get rid of self, and that is that you should become so absorbed in someone or something else that you have no time to think about yourself. So there's so many other things we could say. Um, that is just a quick, brief recap. I've got about five, ten minutes, something like that. I wanted to move, um, move to, okay, where do we go from here? How do we as a church help each other? Um, like I said, you might not be someone who you would say, I'm spiritually depressed. You're going to run into people who are, okay? So how do we help one another? I'm always helped by Ephesians 4, 11 verse thir through 13. This is God. He says he gave the apostles, God gave them, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
for building up the body of Christ. So you notice in there, yes, it's true that pastors and teachers do ministry. They, they do some of the work. But typically, their main work is actually to equip the church to do the work, right? That, that's what's going on in the verse, to equip all y'all to do the work of ministry. And what is that work? Namely, for building up the body of Christ, okay? So each and every one of us has a responsibility to build one another up, okay? That's a clear biblical command. We need to build each other up, okay? That is not something you can sit idly by, okay? God has placed you in this church at this time. I mean, you could be thinking, man, I've, California's so messed up, I gotta move to Tennessee, okay? Well, you're not in Tennessee yet. God has placed you here, and you need to serve and equip and build each other up now, okay? The grass is not greener on the other side. It might look that way, but society is crumbling everywhere, <laughs> okay? We need to realize God has put this in this place at this time with one another for the purpose of building each other up, okay? So let's say you're sitting down. Remember, providentially, God has placed you and this other person in this place in this time, this is a, a divine appointment. What are you going to do? Here's this person that's, that's spiritually depressed, okay? Maybe, you know, you've known them for a long time. Maybe they just come and tell you, hey, I'm really struggling with this, okay? I, I'm really struggling with being introspective. I'm really struggling with spiritual depression. I'm struggling with all these things. What are you going to do? Or maybe you've known them and they're feeling down. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? I think you start, you start asking questions. You ask questions questions. You get to the heart because you care about this person because this is someone who Christ died for and providentially they're in the same church as you. So get to the heart. You ask questions. Here's just some. Are they afraid of something? Is there some fear going on? Are they hopeless about some future situation, right? Or some current situation. It's never going to get better, right? Maybe they're, they're guilty. Maybe they're, they're feeling um, you know, that they're afraid of shame. There's something going on there. Of some past sin maybe coming to light. Are they sorrowful? Maybe there's a genuinely sad situation and that's why they're depressed. You're, you're trying to understand what's going on here? What's going on in this person's heart? What are they believing that's leading them to be in this situation? What are they doing practically with their time? What are they thinking, okay? What's going on? Work hard to understand exactly what's going on. There's probably a number of factors in play, right? So if someone is really depressed, spiritually depressed, whatever it might be, and they're tired all the time, you could just start with like, well, when do you go to bed? Well, I go to bed at 1 a.m., and then I wake up at 5. That might be why you're tired, right? Like, we are embodied souls. Like, the body is not unimportant, okay? So, if you're on social media until 2 a.m. and you're not sleeping enough and you're just filling your mind with all kinds of stuff on social media, that's probably why you're tired and you're struggling with these thoughts. So it's real simple. Cut that out. We need to get rid of that, right? And we need to replace that time with filling our thoughts with what is true, right? Was it Philippians 4.8? Whatever's true, brothers, think about these things. It's a command, so don't think about these other things. You need to think about what is true. Think about what is true in Scripture, right? So it, it could be a simple physical thing. Um, typically, there's some heart issue going on, right? Maybe it's 
unbelief. At the end of the day, they're just simply not trusting in and believing, like Colossians 2 says, that Christ has nailed our debt to the cross. Do you believe that? You work through those passages with them, right? Maybe it's, it's legalism, right? There's, yes, I, I, I understand that I'm justified in Christ, but I just don't believe he's going to accept me unless I do X, Y, and Z. Okay, well, you need to go back and we need to understand justification, right? We need to think through what's sanctification, right? So you're working hard to understand exactly what's going on. Be patient. People are complicated. You're complicated and complex. I'm complicated and complex. Guys are complicated and complex, okay? Right? Like we know women are, but men are too, right? So just be patient with people, okay? Like if you, you meet with some person and, you know, it's been an hour and it's just like, well, I felt like I got nowhere. It's like, well, they probably would get nowhere with you either, right? Be patient. Pray. Read the Bible. Go through these passages. Go through these principles. I'd also add this. If someone is an introspective person, you can tell them there's a lot of joy to be found in life not thinking about yourself. There's a lot of joy to be found in, right, as Philippians says, count others more important than yourself. There's actually joy to be found in that, okay? So go spend time with other believers. It's true, you should read the Bible together, you should pray together, but maybe you just need to get together and hang out and have fun and play a board game if that's your thing, okay? Spend time with other people. If you're realizing that you're struggling when you're all alone, you know, at this certain hour of the time, don't be alone at that certain hour of the time, okay? If it's when you need to go to sleep, read a book. I got tons if you want to read a good book, okay? That will put you to sleep. I've got boring books that will put you to sleep, okay? You need to rest. You need to practically fill yourself with good fellowship and get rid of the stuff that really is just junk and garbage, okay? So work through that um, with these people. In all of this, you're pointing to Christ. You're giving them hope, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Um, you know, there is no temptation. Um, um, well, what is it? Christ will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, okay? So give them hope. I, I feel like I just can't get out of this. Well, the Bible says you can. Trust in that. Work through that with them. I've already mentioned this. You just sit down with them, read the Bible, and pray, and you keep doing that. God is faithful. You sit down, read the Bible, and pray. That's how the Holy Spirit works in sanctification. You work through what's going on, ask good questions, listen, care about them. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, honest confession time, a lot of times I'm in conversations and I say something, and I'm not really listening to what the other person is saying because I've already got something else to say. That's not listening well, okay? Listening well is, hey, here's this brother or sister in Christ who's struggling, and because I care about them, I actually want to know what's going on in their heart, and how can I point them to Christ? How can I point them to Christ? I had to end with a Spurgeon quote because it's so good. Introspective person, or for all of us, really. Remember, sinner, it is not your hold of Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not your joy in Christ that saves you. It is Christ. I think I've quoted this like two or three times here, but it's so good. It is not even faith in Christ, though that is the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, look not to your hope, but to Christ, the source of your hope. Look not to your faith, but to Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. And if you do that, 10,000 devils cannot throw you down. The great truth is that it is not our prayer. It is not our faith. It is not our doings. It is not our feelings upon which we must rest, but upon Christ and on Christ alone. We are apt to think that we are not in a right state 
that we do not feel enough, instead of remembering that our business is not with self, but Christ. Let me exhort you, look only to Christ. Never expect deliverance from self, from pastors, or from any means of any kind apart from Christ. Keep your eye simply on him. Let his death, his agonies, his groans, his sufferings, his merits, his glories, his intercession be fresh upon your mind. What's he saying? Think about the gospel. And when you wake in the morning, look for him. When you lie down at night, look for him. So maybe you go through scripture or you just read this quote to him. That's what they need to do. We need to fill our minds, our thoughts, our hopes with Christ, okay? So that was a very, very brief summary. Um, Like I said, if you think that there might be more that you need or might be helpful, everything's recorded online. If you want notes, I can send you notes, stuff like that. Um, And yeah, hopefully you've been, yes, real quick, one question. Uh, Yeah, there's certainly parts of that. This is just me personally. I found the diary of David Brainerd very dry. I don't know if that is just me and if that is heresy to someone. Um, Yes, certainly in parts. Yeah, I mean, he is struggling. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you're looking for um, just a resource on spiritual depression and how to get out of it, stuff like that, it's on the back there, Spiritual Depression, It's Causes and Cure by Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's excellent. Excellent, excellent. Think Again by Jared Mellinger is really simple. Um, It's really easy to understand. Um, I'd probably, if you're really struggling with spiritual depression or know someone who is, read Spiritual Depression with Lloyd-Jones. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, maybe David David Brainerd. I mean, it's it's good. I just, maybe it was the season of my life, but I was just like, I can't get through this book fast enough. Um, But there are some really good parts where, yes, that's true. Yeah. Anything else before we close? All right. You guys are dismissed.